Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Welcome to First Class Fantasy. I'm Theo Greminger, and I'm joined by my co-host, Billy Muzio. And then I believe this is our guest, John Daigle's third appearance on First Class Fantasy. Uh, we're in year one for First Class Fantasy. John's been incredibly generous uh, with his time and his takes here on First Class Fantasy. We're so excited to get John to join us in the in the NFL playoffs. I think I've podcasted with John uh, with playoff content now for like four straight years. It's always a blast because... You're one of the sharpest people around, John, and anybody who follows is on fantasy Twitter or reads fantasy football content or consumes it via podcast knows who you are. How are you doing? Uh, how's this time of year treating you, John? Doing well. I think everyone that follows along knows right now that I am in between jobs and I'm doing great. Don't worry about me. Uh, everything will be settled. I'm guessing around the Super Bowl, probably after, but I'm enjoying the free time. I'm enjoying four games, which makes the write-ups and just the notes I take more in depth. It's much easier to parse through defensive injuries when all 16, all 32 teams aren't playing. Um, everything's going well. I wish I would have been on last week for sure, because I was a very big proponent in DFS, for example, which is pretty much the same thing because you have to analyze the first matchups and then fill out the bracket from there. And not only did I get to Bucks money line underdogs. I had them covering four or five. I missed out on the Steelers plus 10 points. And I did have a couple Najee lineups out there, unfortunately. But I was very, very big on Texans defense and Puka over Kyron. Kyron seemed like a very big trap, especially since the Rams could have been a one and done team. I thought they were 50 50 to get through. So, yeah, I wish I could have joined last week to talk about all this with y'all. Yeah, no, and Billy, I'll say that last week's guest, Andrew Cooper, is still a little bit upset that you missed last week, and now he sees you in the mix here with with John. Uh, so shout out, shout out to you, Coop. Nothing personal, but Billy, you know he's got got great to Coop. Do. And Billy, you know, let's talk about Puka Nakua because Puka went absolutely bonkers. To a couple weeks back, we did our first 2024 draft show of the year. You selected Puka Nakua, I believe, tenth overall. I, did. I mean, you certainly looked pretty good uh, in in week one. Was he the uh, biggest standout for you in the first round of the fantasy football play in the first round of the NFL playoffs? Yeah, I, I think one of them, but I definitely think um, first round probably 
him and Aaron Jones, I think, are, are the two that need to be mentioned. Uh, and, and, and I do think that, uh, Puka is going to have a bright future ahead of him. Uh, some quarterback uncertainty is probably the, is going to be the uh, main contributing factor to his ADP and, and I think in, in 2024, but, uh, ultimately I, I like what he was able to do. I mean, who, who doesn't right broke multiple records this year. Um, looks like he's going to have a bright future. Yeah. And we're going to talk a little bit more about, uh, Jordan love the green Bay Packers and what went down in Dallas a little later on in the show. But, John, we've been asking pretty much every guest throughout the season, you know, you put so much time and energy into your your process during the summer, and then you have now the whole season in the rear view for the 2023 fantasy football season. Which player was sort of the biggest disappointment for you? Maybe a guy that you were bullish on or or your, your former site, 4 for 4, was bullish on that really kind of let you down with their performance or simply their usage? I can be transparent because I even go back around this time of the year when I'm sorting through end of season metrics and look at my top fades and targets article. And a lot of it is not just players. It's the entire process of drafting is baked in as anyone should do. Like for instance, Rashad White was a top target. He finishes the RB 14 in points per game. And it wasn't even about the player. It was more about the skipping the dead zone of running backs from rounds three through seven. And because we all thought, well, we thought Damian Pierce, Cam Akers, Alexander Madison, the list goes on. Those guys just didn't fit in the buckets of players we should target in that range. They didn't have the ceiling, and that was all true. The one guy I missed in that tier, though, I included him in the tier, was Travis Etienne. And I honestly don't even feel bad about it because for the second half of the season, he was terrible. And if you if you put their usage side by side, Travis Etienne was Jacksonville Tony Pollard. He just happened to fall forward for touchdowns, and Tony Pollard did not. So, but nonetheless, he still finishes the RB six in points per game. So definitely as a third round player, a miss on my part for sure. And the receiver was Mike Evans. And I don't even hate it, honestly. Uh, you know, you look at all their, the touchdown rates from last year, everything they did through the air, and we have to scale it all back because it was a Tom Brady led offense. We just, I just thought in general, the entire offense would regress under Todd Bowles without Brady with Baker Mayfield. Maybe the target tree gets, gets condensed to one or two players. But Evans to have a nuclear contract year certainly was not on my radar. I came in underweight on in every single tournament, every single league, every single best ball team with him. And it definitely did not help um, these last few weeks. So those definitely were my two biggest misses personally. And how about on the flip side, you know, besides Puka Nakua, who was a player where you were either bullish on or just simply impressed by their performance, sort of your biggest positive fantasy surprise in 2023? Kyron Williams was one of the biggest. I, I was pushing Puka. I was pushing Jaden Reed. I like those two individuals just based on their draft capital and their college profiles. I still think Kyron Williams, though, not even mine personally, but overall was definitely the biggest surprise for everyone because it didn't pop till late either. I think it was end of July, uh, mid-August, whenever Jordan Rodriguez first put out the siren that he was being used at in at camp as more of their like running back one. Um, and so much so that a lot of casual drafters that, you know, we all cater to, they did not even draft him in the last round. Some of them did get him in the very last round, but that's where he was really around mid to late August. And then it came down to the waiver wire. And I know we're so far removed from it. Everyone forgets that week one waiver wire. And Theo, you write it for player profiler. Yeah. Uh, it was actually a, it was actually a big discussion between again, 
It seems crazy now, but it was Kyron Williams, Justice Hill, and Josh Kelly. And Kyron Williams is very clearly the number one player, and a lot of people went different directions. I believe you and I both had him number one. Oh, actually, I should say no. I had Puka number one, and then I had Kyron number two. But Kyron definitely is the number one running back that week. And so that, to me, was quite literally the biggest surprise, not only to finish as the RB2 in points per game, but just in general to be literally in every down back with pass catching chops. That target share did go away over the last month of the season as a lot more players, or I shouldn't say a lot more players, as Demarcus Robinson entered their lineup as a full-time player over to Atwell, and they started using him more like Odell Beckham during the Super Bowl run, where he was a red zone threat as a big body guy that could separate. That's when Kyron's target share went away entirely. But as long as they don't add anyone of significant draft value, we've already seen how they value Zach Evans personally as more of a special teams player. So I would think Kyron returns as yet again an every down running back one under McVay. Now, let me ask you this, because Billy and you are both excellent rankers and excellent in your process. And I've heard Billy's thoughts on this a little bit when it comes to Kyron Williams. But we'll start out with you, John. And then, Billy, please add your thoughts. Right now, you're seeing the early drafting. You're going to have FFPC best balls this weekend. Uh, a couple other high-stakes formats are having their best balls. And Billy will be drafted in a best ball before you know it. I'm going to drag you right into the best ball streets, my man. And then you also have the dynasty community. And I think both sides are looking at Kyron Williams. And I think that there's very, very strong opinions on one side or another. Matt Kelly, the podfather, is ready to sell Kyron Williams off in dynasty. Alan Soslowski and I pushed back pretty hard on that one. Then we talked, did our, our initial draft where Billy, Josh, and I all decided Kyron belongs right around that one-two turn. But like you said, John, you bring up other players landing in Los Angeles. So there's not exactly the biggest sense of confidence I, I feel from you on Kyron moving forward. Correct me if I'm wrong here. In Dynasty, are you selling Kyron Williams? And in redraft, do you remain kind of bullish or do you have a little trepidation in the back of your head? In these early drafts, I will not be hesitant to value Kyron around that range as a top. Again, I haven't done this just yet. Uh, unlike a lot of people, like y'all are grinding your asses off. I usually step back, especially when you're unemployed. But I step back anyways around this time of the year and I'm still evaluating game by games and through the Super Bowl. And then I'll take a couple weeks off and then I'll jump right back into it just to get a just to get some kind of refresher here because the season of the year is so long. But right now, I would still assume Kyron Williams is top three, top four running back. I don't think the Rams would add anyone of significance personally. If they do, that's clearly a bad thing. But I don't think they're going to do that, especially since Sean McVay, whether it's Todd Gurley, uh, C.J. Anderson, Cam Akers, the list goes on, has a history of using only one running back. This goes back his entire tenure with Los Angeles. So I personally am very bullish on Kyron Williams. Anything to add, Billy, in your evaluation with Kyron? Is this really a situation versus talent uh, evaluation for you, Billy, or a little bit of both? I think a little bit of both. I don't think you can just look at this from a, a one-way perspective. Uh, the thing that I think might hinder him in 2024 is just his overall size. You know, five foot nine, 194 pounds, a little bit on the lighter and smaller side. Um, has been successful, but we also have seen some injuries amount uh, in his short career. So I could see a scenario where they add a back in the draft. Um, any competition for touches is still touch competition, which would, uh, you know, limit his upside. But to Dago's point, they do have a history of using one back. Um, that being said, they do have a history of also switching backs. 
And so if we did see an injury that could potentially occur um, and they spent any draft capital on a running back inside the, the 2024 draft, um, we could see a transition or a potential shift of the guard um, just based upon they have no real draft capital in Kyron either. So although I like his skill set, I think he's been a good fit for the offense. I think he's done well. Um, there's really nothing that ties them to him other than the success that he's had uh, if they did you know, have any way or stray away from him in, in, in at all in 2024. Yeah. I'll say for me, the one thing that like unknown upside with Kyron, I agree. Like the touches are kind of unsustainable. I don't think he's like an 18 carry a game guy, but I do think that the receiving upside could, could be there. I think he could see more targets and I think he could see more work in the passing game, uh, you know, in essentially his second full year in the league. Uh, so I don't know. He's definitely uh, one of the big storylines of the off season. And another storyline of the offseason, and we'll start with John on this one, is, John, you're in Chicago, and there's probably the two most polarizing opposites, extremes, of offensive coordinators were both interviewed recently by the Bears. You had Greg Roman, who became sort of a fantasy football villain his final season in Baltimore with the pace of the offense, sort of like the old-school, run-heavy approach with the Baltimore Ravens. Uh he had a lot of success over the years. We had a QB one season with Lamar Jackson uh, under Roman, but you know, a pretty poor taste in, in the mouth of a lot of fantasy managers. Then you get Cliff Kingsbury who runs almost an opposite offense of Greg Roman. I believe Arizona led the NFL in plays per game. Cliff Kingsbury's last year in Arizona. And when you think Cliff Kingsbury, you think very, very small wide receivers and low a dot uh, throws. Does this mean to you, John, that the Bears are preparing for two scenarios here with Justin Fields? How are we supposed to read this? I don't think they know what they're going to do yet. That's the issue. I I liken it to Kyle Shanahan, and I know some people swear he he knew what they're going to do the entire time and trading for the number three overall pick. I don't believe that for a second. I thought. Their entire process was to get in position for a quarterback and then do the details from there. Uh, and it led them to Trey Lance for better or worse. I think the Bears are just doing their due diligence and rightfully so. The fans, speaking from that perspective, definitely want Justin Fields. They've come around to the idea that uh, not only is he a Chicago guy who they want to like hone in and raise and like win with him, and that's fine. Justin Fields is an amazing individual personally. And also, like we have seen his ceiling. But I just think they genuinely want to keep that pick and turn into either more defensive players or Marvin Harrison Jr. Because obviously the Bears need another receiver no matter what happens here. But honestly, I always lean towards the organizational side. It's just better practice to take the rookie quarterback, first of all. Especially if we do think it's someone who, like Trevor Lawrence, who was touched by the hand of whatever God exists in football. Then you obviously take that player. But for me, it's also about... The fact that Justin Fields, although he did improve dramatically against the Blitz this year, going back to Ohio State, that's also what he struggled with. Whenever you sent an extra rusher at him, he still was the same player when asked to process plays from a clean pocket. Eight touchdowns, for instance, this entire year from a clean pocket, which for reference, Mac Jones had seven. Tommy DeVito had six from a clean pocket. Not great. Also six picks as well. So whenever the play broke down and he had to operate out, of the pocket, which is what we saw, for instance, from Tua struggling to do that. Uh, you have to be able to do that. Jared Goff Tua cannot do that. Justin Fields has shown he can do that. That, to me, still makes you a top 
12 quarterback in the league. But that's not something that you're afraid to get away from, honestly, because he's still struggling in that department. So to me, I, I think it's pretty clear you should get away from him. But again, I don't think they know what they're doing just yet. Billy, uh, Justin Fields also is 10 and 28 as a starter. And that's certainly not all on him. But as we see with guys like CJ Stroud, certain quarterbacks seem to elevate the team more so than others. I think Justin Fields, I think we have like fantasy football uh, takes on him. And then we have real life football takes on him. What would you do if you were Chicago? Uh, Would you be moving on and take Caleb Williams? Or would you try to try to get things right? with the former first round pick, Justin Fields? I think there's a lot of variables here, but I think it really breaks down to what they could actually acquire for the first overall pick. Um, if they can get multiple round one picks, multiple couple of round twos, maybe some assets. I think there's a real case to be made that maybe you stick with Justin Fields, but um, from a, you know, GM perspective, I think it makes the most sense to move on from Justin Fields. He's in the last year of his rookie contract. He's looking at a contract extension. Um, You're going to have to pay more on the cap now um, where you could move on from him and have another rookie contract for the next four to five years uh, with Caleb Williams and build around him as the future. And then you could still get some, some assets back from trading Justin Fields, most likely another round one pick, potentially, you know, multiple picks or some assets. So there's a lot of variables. I think if I'm the GM, I'd move on from Justin Fields. He's a much better fantasy quarterback than he is a real life quarterback uh, has yet to eclipse uh, 2,600 yards in the, in, in passing in, in all three years uh, has, he's only eclipsed the the seven yards per attempt mark once in his, in his three years uh, has he not yet once hit 20 touchdowns. Um, so it's it's clear and evident to me that he has struggled to adapt and to change to the speed of the NFL. Um, the accuracy that we saw in college just has not transitioned to the NFL either. Um, and so uh, to your point, Theo, a lot of quarterbacks do elevate the playmakers around them. Justin Fields relies on the playmakers around him to elevate his play. And I don't think that that's something that the Bears want to uh, hitch to for their future, especially with a new contract on the book. So I would I would move Justin Fields draft Caleb Williams and and rely on the rookie contract and and someone who's much more willing to push the ball down the field. I think if there is a trade, it's easy. They're going to trade down to number two uh, with the commanders. And I think the the commanders would try to get Caleb Williams, who's a Washington, D.C. native. The only Heisman Trophy winner (laughs) ever from Washington, D.C. would be a great deal of goodwill for the fan base and an easy trade down where they could still get Marvin Harrison Jr. Guys, we're going to dive into – these amazing matchups we have this weekend for the NFL playoffs. We're also going to hear John and Billy's thoughts on what the heck is going on over in Dallas, all the big disappointment. And now Mike McCarthy returning stick with us here at first class fantasy. Hey, so many asked me what's wrong with sports books. Why so many of them fail? The answer is simple. They don't innovate. They're just casino sports books on a phone. That's all they've been. There are a few that are doing a good job. We partner with them. Most of them, not so much until Bet Openly came along. Bet Openly said, Hey, we're going to innovate. We're going to do something groundbreaking. We're going to have peer to peer betting in all states, and you pay 1%. When you win, you pay just 1% on your winnings. You heard that right. It's 1%. With code Underworld, you qualify for just that 1% transaction fee on Bet Openly. It gives you ultimate flexibility to set your own lines and browse lines that others have set. Think about it. That's what betting should be, and now that is the reality. BetOpenly.com. The code is Underworld. Check it out. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Welcome back to First Class Fantasy. Theo Greminger and Billy Muzio joined by John Daigle. And John, before we talk about this week's playoff games, I think that the the biggest surprise of last weekend was not necessarily Green Bay getting a win. That was surprising. But you had the Green Bay Packers going into Dallas and hanging 48 on the Dallas Cowboys. I predicted the Dallas Cowboys were going to win the Super Bowl in our player profiler predictions, Billy. So I didn't start out very well for me. Uh, and I was very surprised by Dallas's decision to bring back Mike McCarthy after this huge disappointment. John, your thoughts on the game and Dallas's decision to bring back McCarthy. I could spend the next two hours talking about this game and this organization because it wasn't just a loss. It was truly a humiliation uh, and now, like in the last four losses for Dak Prescott in the playoffs, the Cowboys haven't reached seven points in the first half in any of them. They're just truly a disastrous organization that folds at whenever the stakes get higher. Uh, and not only that, but it was the worst case scenario and that all their backup plans failed too. I, I think, I don't even know if correct is the right word to use here. But I do think, as crazy as it sounds, it was the right move to stick with McCarthy because I don't think you could have got better. I don't think Bill Belichick would have gotten better either, given that the best coach we've seen for the Cowboys in the last 30 years, Bill Parcells, who also drafted DeMarcus Ware, Jason Witten, uh, shunned the Saints and told Jerry Jones they can't trade undrafted free agent Tony Romo whenever Sean Payton called about him. Like Even Bill Parcells went left on his own accord because he couldn't make it work with Jerry Jones. It, it would be the same thing with Bill Belichick, who has to have GM control. It's never going to happen there. So given how good McCarthy has been in working with the Joneses' antics, I do think he's the right guy for the job. But in that game, Dan Quinn was supposed to be your backup coach, right? Fire McCarthy, go to Dan Quinn. I mean, Dan Quinn's schemes, you couldn't hire him after that game. You had to fire him immediately before he made it back to the locker room. Uh, I understand he couldn't change personnel because the Cowboys are undersized in general, but also, it was Dan Quinn and the organization's choice not to sign any big linebacker whenever Leighton Vander Esch got injured mid-year. And that's why we saw the Packers lead every offense in the wildcard round and 12 personnel, two tight end sets, and just average eight and a half yards per play because they were running over little 190, 200-pound linebackers that weren't even supposed to be starting. Also, Micah Parsons, who has this Luka Doncic usage throughout the regular season. And you could argue now, maybe it's not caused correlation, but you could argue that the reason why these last two years and in, in his career, he's 
been a no-show the last month of the season in the playoffs is because he has an undersized every down player at his position. And they're about to give him the most money for any defensive player in the entire history of the league. So honestly, everything from Dak, Micah, Dan Quinn, Mike McCarthy, it was literally all a no-win situation after that game. Uh, Mike McCarthy only has one more year left on his deal. I would think not only like will they will he be on the shortest leash ever? I've I've already just been scheming and wrote down in my little football notebook to look at his first coach fired odds whenever they open up in the offseason because I I bet if the schedule works out and they're just get this murderer's row of teams in the first month of the year, it's possible that the leash is so short. McCarthy doesn't even make it to like week six or seven, a lot like uh, Wade Phillips the year they fired him after that Packers game in prime time. So I don't think you could have done better, honestly, and that's my view of the situation. It was no win no matter which way you went. Billy Billy Muzio, if you were Jerry Jones, besides having a really really nice, uh, you know, private jet that you own yourself that you could you know take out whenever, what what would you have done with your football team, the Dallas Cowboys? Because you know it sounds like John had a little like, yeah, I guess we'll keep McCarthy because we're not going to do better. Would you have just been angry enough to to fire him the next day? Yes, I think that I I, I think that you know what you have in McCarthy, and I, I think that. Um, it's limited. I mean, we saw what he squandered away in Green Bay. Um, one would argue that they should have probably three more Super Bowls during the tenure of Aaron Rodgers in his peak while while they were together. And I don't think that they were well coached enough to actually get there. Um, I think that McCarthy is an above average coach. Uh, I think he has his weaknesses. I think he has his strengths. Um, I'm I do agree with with Daigle though. I think that the defense is um, and Quinn is what let the team down the most. I mean, why they're out there running zone in the beginning has made no sense to me. They should be running more man um, when it's worked most of the season. I understand there's mismatches and stuff, but they've had a lot more success with that. They could disguise packages more against love. Um, so I think there was a lot of opportunity on the defensive side that they squandered as well. Um, but I, I do think that we have to look at it from two sides here. Um, of course, we can look at the negative of being blown away by green Bay in the playoffs, but we do have to look at the positives they had. They did have a, a really good season overall. Um, McCarthy took over the play calling and Dak Prescott had a career year. We had CD lamb had a career year. So there's a lot of positives here as well that we need to look at. Um, I am just a little bit more. I mean, I'm, I'm a high stakes player. I gamble more. And I think that it's in my, at least if I was the GM and the owner, I think I would take my chances and look at a high upside coach that is potentially going to transform this offense into the next elite consistent offense. Cause they were, had flashes of eliteness, but they weren't consistently elite in my opinion. And, and I think that they needed to um, upgrade the play calling and not rely on just the one, two punch between CD lamb and, and Dak Prescott week to week basis. And I think there's a lot more room to do so. It, it doesn't, it doesn't change this off season either because Dak has them, over the barrel, like 60 million cap hit. They can't get away from and a no trade clause. Like good luck. Dak is just going to get paid again. Yeah. It's, it'll be a fun team to watch this off season though, John, because I think, you know, you'll definitely see Dak back. CD lamb will be a top three pick for us in fantasy, but I think there could be some changes in the offense. I think they could draft another receiver. I think, you know, a younger player kind of in the Gallup role, that'd be interesting one to watch. And then the running back position, like we talked about Pollard in the pre-show, I think that that was a little bit disappointing the way that he looked this year in his production. I think we could see a change there, whether it's in the draft or, you know, in with a kind of a deep free agent class, you know, a little sneak preview, a little free agent class. Maybe a big name ends up in Dallas, maybe a Derrick Henry, just to change things up. 
And guys, you know, the team that it wasn't all disappointments because Jordan Love and the Green Bay Packers, if you are a fan of this organization or somebody who has Jordan Love in Dynasty or somebody who might have used Jordan Love in a playoff contest, you're walking around feeling like the smartest guy in the room right now. Jordan Love finished as quarterback five overall in the regular season for us in fantasy football, has a very efficient game, only 21 attempts, but he has three touchdown passes. And it continues to be, it doesn't matter who's available to him or who he's passing to. His four leading receivers uh, in the playoff game were all first or second year players once again. Touchdown passes to Romeo Dubs, Luke Musgrave, and Dontavian Wicks. Uh, your thoughts on Jordan Love and how impressive he has been, uh, not only this season, but to the start to the playoffs. Billy? Love was one of my sleeper picks for the quarterback. I just liked the offense and what they were doing in the offseason. Um, he even surpassed my expectations of what he was, um, of what I projected him to to do in the season. I never assumed that he was going to be quarterback five in fantasy points per game. I thought top 13, 12 was in the realm of possibilities. But if you would have, you know, put $1,000 on the table and said Jordan Love in or outside top five, I would have taken outside 10 out of 10 times. Um, that being said, the Green Bay Packers have shown they're very smart when it comes to quarterback play and quarterback selections. They, you know, it's, I, I did not think that we were going to see uh, this caliber of quarterback play coming from Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers, now to Jordan Love. But what they do is they sit there, they draft a player, they learn and they mentor um, the quarterback for years on end. I mean, we saw how long Aaron Rodgers sat behind Brett Favre, and now we saw how long Love sat behind Aaron Rodgers. They get to learn from them. They get to, you know, mimic them. They get to 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 see their play style. They get to see what works, see what doesn't work. They get to get in the mindset of of the, of the successful quarterback, and they get to a point to where they're nearly frustrated. They're pissed off. They're angry. They want to prove the world. They still have it in them, and then they un unleash them. And then we, this is why we have seen such successful quarterback play over the last what two three decades now in Green Bay. And I think that. Um, it has been a system and a process that has worked that more teams need to mimic because a lot of teams just throw a Justin Fields out there into the wild. It gets, it gets just pummeled. A lot of teams throw out a Mac Jones out into the wild. It just gets, you know, destroyed. Their confidence gets wrecked and, and et cetera. So I think that Jordan Love has a bright future. I think they're going to continue to build around him. They're going to continue to build the line, continue to build the defense, allow him to become, you know, a, a, uh, not necessarily have to make big plays, right? They can be be able to control the game script. And and I think that the Green Bay Packers are just a smart organization, and I think we're going to continue to see it. John, anything to add on Jordan Love and his, his um, you know, his level of play right now? I'll be interested to see how he grows because he's on one of the greatest heaters, Joe Flacco, like during the Ravens Super Bowl run of all time. It's been a tale of two seasons. The first nine games he played with a lot of different injuries and understanding the offense. Um, they also adjusted a lot of things over the second half of the season, but the first nine games, 6.7 yards per attempt, 14 touchdowns and 10 picks. Now his last nine games, the wild card included nine yards per attempt, 21 touchdowns, one pick. Again, he's just been on the heater of all heaters. He flashes consistently on tape. With some big-time throws, we talked about earlier, when pockets break down, what happens with Tua, with Jared Goff. I mean, Jordan Love, with the pocket breaks down, he almost thrives from it. We saw even this past week, back foot throw for a big first down. Uh, he had the, man, the one he weaved in between two defenders for Romeo Dobbs inside the 10-yard line. That was a Patrick Mahomes throw. It was crazy. <laughs> so 
I'm just excited to see where he grows because literally he, he's not the same quarterback he was in the first half of the year. And that's for a lot of different reasons uh, that the entire organization can take some credit for. Well, let's stay with San Francisco and Green Bay here. And John, you know, you and Billy just talked, you know, poetically about Jordan Love. And I'm a big Jordan Love fan. But guys, 9-8 and eight team, they win a big game in Dallas. And now Vegas is kind of telling you what they think of Green Bay. They're going into San Francisco this week against Billy's 49ers, and they're catching nine and a half. Very high total in this game. Vegas is expecting some points. This is a healthy 50-point or so total. John, what are you looking for in this game? What do you think will happen? And who is the fantasy player that we should be keeping an eye on? All credit to Sharp Footballs and our good friend, Rich Rebar, who I did a show with him last night, and he mentioned this stat that stood out. And that is because I was yelling about the Rams offense and how they average 6.7 yards per play with their big four, Kyron Puka, Cooper, and Stafford on the field together this year. With the 49ers, big five, Kittle, Debo, Ayuk, Purdy, and McCaffrey on the field together this year, they averaged 7.6 yards per play. They just literally destroyed everyone in their sight. And then you look at this Packers schedule, although Joe Barry has uh, teetered some things, he's altered some some plays to put quarterbacks in weaker situations over this last stretch. But the last three weeks now, Nick Mullins, Jaron Hall, Justin Fields, playoff Dak Prescott, which is not regular season Dak Prescott, those quarterbacks in particular when they were under pressure – five and a half yards per attempt, 26 in EPA per play. They were just bad. And here comes Brock Purdy, who finished the year third in yards per attempt under pressure, 11 touchdowns, which also finished third in the league. He's an entirely different quarterback with everyone, Trent Williams included, at full strength. So although Jordan Love could prosper here, although I don't know who it's going to go to, uh, I, I still think it's the 49ers in a big win because I don't know how the Green Bay defense has any answers. Billy, your thoughts on your 49ers? little biased here, but I'm going to try to keep it unbiased. Uh, Look over Billy's shoulder if you're watching on the YouTube stream. <laughs> he has a montage yeah, clearly, of famous yeah. 49ers. It's, uh, here we go. Ready? I mean, that's – you can't – like, yeah, that's horrible. I guess you can't even see it. But, um, yeah, it's it's like a 14 by 8-foot painting on canvas on the wall. It's pretty awesome. But the I, I, there's two things here that are going to stick out to me. It's going to be a battle in the trenches because Green Bay has got a, 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 a above, I mean, a pretty damn good offense line. Let's, let's say it. Um, but the Niners front is is probably the scariest in the NFL. And two things that really stick out to me is Jordan Love struggles when he is pressured. So if if we can get pressure on the quarterback, I think that Love is going to kind of turn back into a pumpkin this week, per se, and probably have a bit of a struggle. And, and we're probably going to see, I don't think they'll actually meet that nine and a half. Because when we look at his pressure completion percentage, it was 49.4%. He was quarterback 30 in the league. In uh, look at catchable passes when pressured, it was only 48%, which was quarterback 22 in the league. I do think that he's going to struggle against this front. And so the, the secondary of the Niners is is very beatable. Um, it's you know I was hoping they were going to make a move for a cornerback or a safety um, in, inside of free agency. Never happened. Um, and they just continue to add to the front with Chase Young. So uh, they re rely on getting pressure to the quarterback. Um, in particular, the game that sticks at the most when you don't get pressure is where they get beaten. Uh, think back Minnesota when Minnesota just diced up uh, the, the Niners when, when Kirk Cousins was still healthy. Um, and it's because they couldn't get to him. They couldn't they couldn't rush him. They couldn't pressure him. And he was just able to sit back and pick apart the secondary. And so that's what it's going to take to beat the Niners. They're going to need to get, protect Jordan Love. They're going to need to give him a lot of time to throw. Um, and they're going to need to come, uh, uh, to Diego's point, have answers on defense. So I 
think that's it's it's uphill sledding. It's going to be very tough for them to to do. Um, I think the Niners win by more than ten, and and I would definitely you know think they're going to cover here. I lean with Billy. I think it's a buzz saw that Green Bay is stepping into, and I simply look at like the play for me that kind of flipped the Green Bay Dallas game was that Jair Alexander pick. I think Brock Purdy and the 49ers, especially coming off of a bye, are going to be very tight with the football, very efficient on offense, not shoot themselves in the foot, and it's going to eventually kind of get away from it. And I think, uh, like Billy said, double digits. Who's a player that – oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, John. Dak Dak Prescott doesn't make that throw the Jair Alexander pick in the regular season. CeeDee Lamb, if you watch the tape, CeeDee Lamb was riding, running wide open on a post route. In the regular season, he hit some in the boundary. Uh, in the playoffs, though, he just cratered, man. He, he thought he took the safer throw and didn't see it over the middle. And everyone forgets that he had the third drop pick before Jake Perkins' first touchdown in the, in the end zone, too. Man, what a, what a disaster. Just Yeah, there's and, some pain there, John. There's some pain in your voice here with this. It's, uh, it's, I'm so, I've been, you know, I've been doing this job so long that I'm actually am removed from all emotions. Obviously, I grew up in Fort Worth, Texas. So, like, I, I grew up as a big fan. It's just so funny, though, because I still do listen to sports radio uh, to stay in, like, touch with Dallas and all the events going on. And it's going to be the same shit next year. It's going to be the same. Is Dak Prescott elite? Is Mike McCarthy a good coach? Should we pay CeeDee Lamb? Is Micah Parsons, like, the next best defender in the league? They're just going to copy and paste the topics because this was supposed to be the team, and they got railroaded. 48-32, to 32, it does not do it justice how bad that team was. I just – I can't believe it. I'm still just so much in shock. And I'll say this. Keep an eye on George Kittle. After the success of Jake Ferguson, this feels like it could be a Kittle game to me. Three touchdown catches for Ferguson, 10 catches overall. Uh, very impressive for him. But th- these kind of games, George Kittle at home, uh, if I'm in a secondary playoff contest, I'm circling George Kittle. Well, let's, let's also uh, be reminded that Green Bay is a Swiss cheese defense against the run as well. And so I think you're going to see you know, the typical heavy usage of Christian McCaffrey. But to your point, Theo, they may lean on Kittle more as they continue to. I know he's off the injury report, but that calf was popped up multiple weeks ago, and they have Super Bowl ambitions, so they could tend to to kind of stray away from McCaffrey a little bit more than we would expect, but still be a very efficient. So let's let's flip over to the AFC, another Saturday game, and and I think it was Jeff Bell of uh, Football Guys. I, I think it was Jeff. I, I like following Jeff on Twitter. Jeff said that this is the last Saturday with football that we we have until like college football and it starts up. So that was a little uh, depressing to see, but this is our last Saturday guys. So uh, we get a really, really fun game here. You have the Houston Texans with CJ Stroud, unbelievable performance at home. That Houston Texans defense stepped up back to back pick sixes on Joe Flacco and CJ Stroud is just the truth. The, the kid is unbelievable, uh, you know, playing wise beyond his years Houston continues to perform with D'Amico Ryans, his first year as head coach, but now is a real test. They're going into Baltimore against the Baltimore Ravens coming off of a bye as the AFC's number one seed, and it's almost a carbon copy point spread uh, that we see in the Green Bay-San Francisco game. It's about nine and a half, ten points. Vegas is telling you this is a big Baltimore win. John Daigle, are you seeing it that way? I am seeing it that way. It, usually it happens this time of the year too. Although C.J. Stroud, we all know, is completely different than the other quarterbacks we've seen thrown in this spot. Uh, the most recent example would be Daniel Jones, took care of business against the Vikings, went into Philadelphia the next week last year, and just got 
throttled, as we all expected. Uh, CJ Stroud, like the Texans, had a league best only 14 turnovers this year. His five picks only came in three games. But to me, it's still about what this defense was before running into Gardner Minshew and a 38-year-old who didn't have a job until December, which is also why I had the Texans defense in so many playoff contests. Uh, Because before then, their secondary was still an absolute mess. Uh, 30th in in yards per attempt allowed, 27th in in rate of plays to gain 15 yards through the air. And the last time even you talk about their defense, we saw them at full strength in their last two games. That was when Brock Purdy was playing in an MVP game against Lamar. And they had Brock Purdy benched in the third quarter with four picks. And then, of course, they throttled the Dolphins uh, by 30-plus points in the next game before they were all just rested in Week 18. So, to me, I do lean Baltimore. They're a true juggernaut. And it's a great spot because it's still rookie C.J. Stroud on the road against what is rightfully the number one team in the AFC. It feels like that Detroit game a little bit where Detroit came into Baltimore and we thought it was going to be a ball game and it was just a beatdown. Uh, Billy, it's also the lowest total on the board. It's not like an ugly low. It's 43 and a half. But do you see this being maybe a, a, a letdown for fantasy football? How do you see this game playing out? Yeah, I I agree with Dinkle here. I think it's it's, it's a couple, couple things. When you were filling out your FFPC playoff um, lineups, how disgusting was it to try to pick between the other ancillary pieces outside of Lamar Jackson. Like you yeah. didn't feel comfortable picking Zay. You didn't feel comfortable picking Andrews. You didn't feel comfortable picking likely. Like there was no comfort level here. So like we're rolling with the defense, we're rolling with the kicker at times and we're rolling with the quarterback. And that was like the only things I felt comfortable with. And I think that that's all we can say from not only a fantasy perspective, but from, we look at the team, I think that's going to translate to the field as well. We don't know where the targets are going to go any given week. We don't know how this offense is going to look any given week. Outside, we know that Lamar is going to be successful, and we know that he's going to be you know, a game maker. But I think that we're going to see a defensive matchup between both sides of the ball, and I agree with the Vegas total. So I am not comfortable with um, anyone on the fantasy side outside of Lamar, and I think that this this game is, is going to be a letdown for fantasy. I like three players, all four – Different reasons, a variety of them. Let's start with Nico Collins because I wouldn't even call it a good matchup, but usage-wise, I don't know how you get away from him because now he's played five games without Tank Dale. He's been targeted on 35% of his routes, 46% of the team's air yards in those games as well. Like Amon Ross St. Brown, anytime someone asks me about Nico Collins, I just tell them to look at his box score over the last month. That's really all you need to see because all he's doing is destroying. Plus how Bobby Slowick is scheming him up open in a number of different locations on the field. So Nico Collins usage-wise, not usage-wise, but I think it's a sneaky spot. I mean, if they weren't waiting for a three-week rest window to unleash Odell Beckham, when the hell is he ever going to play as a full-down role? He's now had the last 21 days off since he also took off week 18. So I like Odell Beckham in this game against this bad Texan secondary as well. And then for... I don't think, like you said, Billy, I don't think the targets are really going to be there, but the Texans have given up explosive plays to tight ends and likely isn't seeing the targets, but he's so good at football that he's turning them into big plays. So the fact that the Texans are also allowing out of their buy in this time, nine and a half yards per catch to opposing tight ends, I think it could still be a like three catch, but explosive day for Isaiah likely. So I like him too sneakily. 
Yeah, I I think it's a Baltimore game. I I really I love C.J. Stroud, and I think there'll be a lot of goodwill for C.J. Stroud and the Houston Texans this offseason. A tremendous amount of cap space for that team, and such a young, strong core on both sides of the ball. Uh, but this is like the wake up call game. This is Baltimore easy move on. Baltimore Ravens are going to be hosting the AFC title game. Now we have a really fun game, guys, uh, on Sunday for the NFC. You have the Detroit Lions hosting the LA Rams. The Lions are a little less than a touchdown favorite, and this is going to be like the most lit environment, I think, of the entire weekend. The The Detroit Lions won their first playoff game in like 30-plus years this past week. Um, but I think the story of the game for me, guys, and John, you can kind of wax poetic on this, it's Baker Mayfield versus Jared Goff. If I told you guys in 2021 <laughs> that we'd be talking two years from now an NFC playoff game in week two with Jared Goff against Baker Mayfield. You guys would have said I'm I'm crazy, but it's sort of like a it's like a, a it's like an unbelievable moment for both of these quarterbacks. John, your thoughts on the game and the quarterbacks. For Todd Bowles to be one of the last eight coaches too. Yeah, it's a go. major deal. I, I know they had the perfect draw in getting an Eagles team that from the first play, man, no one wanted to be there. You could tell they were so checked out for this last two months of the season. But it's another great matchup, honestly, for Baker. So in this first matchup, all the way back in week six, if people don't remember, like the Bucks came out of their bye and the Lions dared the, him to beat them shallow, to not take deep plays because all they did was play zone on 85% of their snaps, and they're not really a zone defense for the rest of the year. They led that week in usage of two high safeties over the top, and they only blitzed him on 10 dropbacks, 23% of his dropbacks all game. And it did work. He was terrible. Completed 51% of his passes, 206 yards and a pick. But from that time on, I don't know if it was adjustments he made to two eye safeties. I don't know if it was Dave Canales who saw it for the first time and then said, okay, with Baker, we need to do it this way. He's actually since then led the entire league in touchdowns against zone coverage. And no one has recorded more fantasy passing points against zone since week seven as well. And that's just assuming the Lions play him that same way since it worked the first time. Even if they don't, I'm not sure it matters because, like, just look at what the Rams did. I know everyone sees the score, but the Rams averaged seven and a half yards per play. They recorded 10 passes of 15 plus yards. They only lost because their three road zone possessions finished with nine points because Sean McVay's a coward, as he's always been. <laughs> and whereas the Lions' three red zone possessions ended with 21 points. That was literally the difference in the game. The Lions' defense didn't do a single thing to help out. So I think it's a massive day for the guys that can get over the top. Like, uh, Mike Evans and David Moore, for instance, who ran more routes than Trey Palmer for the first time all year last week. And then you mentioned on the other side of the ball, yes, the Lions also won't be stopped because we've talked about it throughout the show, but Jared Goff, when he's not disrupted, he is an amazing quarterback. And they tried to blitz him in week six. He was blitzed on 42% of his dropbacks. And what happened is, is not only did he average nine yards per attempt through for two touchdowns against the Blitz, but also only Brock Purdy has more touchdowns against the Blitz this year. Uh, and so assuming that this Bucks team that has created the only the fourth fewest, fourth lowest pressure rate out of their bye, which is a 10-game stretch now from week seven on, I just think uh, both sides are going to have immense success through the air here because you also can't run on either team as well. Who wins, John? Lions win. I initially, I already bet on Monday. I bet the Lions minus five and a half. I may buy some back though. This is what happened with the Browns. Like I do my work 
And then I, I make the initial bet to get the best line. But after my initial work, I said, oh, shit. And I went back and I bet the Texans money line because I realized like I was wrong. Um, I think I'm coming around to the idea the Bucks covered this game because the Lions defense is so bad. Billy, where are you at on this one? I think the Lions win. I, I, I like Diggle's hitting on all the points. I don't need to elaborate. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, it's no, no, great. I love it because I can, sit, I can sit back cooking. and just say ditto, right? And then we can yeah. move on. Uh, no, I. you have to look at the energy that right now. So I'm – Daigle's going to speak more about the analytics. And I'm going to speak more about the human element. Everyone knows that I really like the human element side of football as well. And you look at what Campbell has created inside Detroit and the energy that they have now and what they're playing with. And energy is hard to stop when it comes to playoffs. Like any sport you talk about, baseball, football, basketball, you look at like what the Giants did making in to the World Series off of off a wild card and they get that momentum. And I know that the Lions weren't a, a wild card, but they have that momentum right now. They have the energy. They have the drive. They have their the first home playoff win in like 30 years. They get another playoff game at home now here in Detroit. They only have to wait a week in between now. There is a lot of energy in Detroit right now, and it's going to be hard to stop that. Um, as good as the Bucks have been, I mean, let, let's face it, they have made some great plays, but all around – I think Detroit's just a better team and they're going to have to rely on some big plays. They're going to have to rely on some big playmakers uh, inside of Tampa. And I just think that Detroit is able to kind of spread the ball around a little bit more. They're able to play off of multiple players. They can attack the game from multiple angles. Um, and again, that energy is going to be hard to stop. So I like Detroit here. Um, and and I think, I think they're, they're the clear winner. Yeah. I, like last week with the Ra the Rams covered uh, since they were three point dogs. Again, I do think the Lions win with you, Billy, because of that getting by. But six points may be too much given the defense. So I I just think back to money money line money line. Correct. Yeah, yeah. You lay lay that. Yeah, Billy Billy and John both want you to go lay like minus two sixty five. Everyone on the record. over regardless. You yeah. have to be over. That's the easiest part here. The, so yes. my, I just look back with this Tampa Bay team. I think people are kind of looking at the. Philadelphia game because a little bit of recency bias they were playing sort of a broken team but if you go back and look at the Carolina game you go back and look at the New Orleans game this Bucks team is just not that good and I think Detroit's on a on a collision course with San Francisco in the NFC John take that so take that one I agree with you but also remember Baker was dealing with the ankle in week 17 and the rib injuries against the Panthers in week 18 the Panthers outplayed them the Panthers should have knocked them out of the playoffs that game but they had so many costly turnovers between the red zone interception GJ Chark's fumble at the goal line whenever he dove for the pylon that the Bucks squeaked it out but last week remember Baker had the extra 24 hours to turn that rib injury around because they played on Monday night and he was sensational it, it was, probably was Matt Patricia in the Eagles defense, but he also led the entire wildcard round, Jordan Love, everyone included, in yards per attempt under pressure. And now on Wednesday, that's the first full practice he's gotten since week 17 before he suffered that injury. Uh, he's going to be full all week long, presumably, unless he has a setback. So I think he's pretty healthy for this game. Yeah, and and uh, I'm excited for this one, though. This is just – it's very cool to see Detroit, and I also think Detroit-San Francisco would be a fun game as well. Uh, guys, but we got to finish out the uh, the discussion here with the game that seems to happen every single year now, and that's Buffalo, Kansas City. And right now you have a very tight line. It's a two-and-a-half-point spread. Vegas is saying this is going to be the best game of the weekend, and the total's at like 45-and-a-half. Where are you at on this one, John? I have jo I have – I'm trying to influence your decision here because I have Josh Allen on the thumbnail for our show here. It says <laughs> Super Bowl bound. So I, I'm, I'm pretty much on the Bills and Josh Allen destiny right now. Yeah. 
where are you seeing the way this game goes? I got all my uh, lots of friends in Buffalo as well. I know a lot of people in Buffalo listen. Like my my big running team that I do with Mike Leone and a handful of others are literally like based out of Buffalo. We travel together and make run these big events. Our next one's at the end of April. Um, and so, but unfortunately, I have to go to the other side of y'all because I think the Chiefs, Chiefs win this one outright. And it's really because I don't want to mess with this Chiefs defense right now. We've now seen eight games where Chris Jones, Nick Bolton, and Legereus Sneed were all in the lineup. Chris Jones missed week one against the Lions. Remember, we were all in Las Vegas together watching that one on the projector. Uh, Legereus Sneed was in and out the second half of the season, and Nick Bolton suffered a midseason injury. He returned. This first matchup in week 14 was actually his first game back. But they played some very good quarterbacks in good spots in those eight games, whether it was early season Trevor Lawrence in week two. Justin Herbert had both Josh Palmer and Keenan Allen available in that game. Again, Allen in week 14. And the Chiefs defense has been absolutely incredible and not one to mess with. Literally leading the league 4.2 yards per play, uh, second in EPA per play, even sixth in pressure rate. 30% success rate, which is third as well. It's just not a unit you can mess with. They're number one in DVOA against opposing wide receiver one. So not that Stephon Diggs has been getting there anyways, but I would imagine it's a game we bet as under props because I, I think it's going to be tough sledding. Even Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill, who had who was like a dark horse MVP candidate midway through the year, had that tweet. I don't know if y'all saw, but he said that luxurious needs stats were shown on Twitter. And Tyreek Hill quote tweeted saying that he quote jammed him to Cancun. And that's Tyreek Hill who like dropped his ego. I and love said, that. I saw that. I said, did like, see that Dude, one. this guy's a bull. Like you can't mess with him one-on-one. So I, it's just not a situation where I want to mess with the Chiefs. And we are going to be watching the Bills injury report throughout the week because – Matt Milano has been their best coverage linebacker. He's been out the second half of the season. And those duties have fallen to, in order, Tyrell Dotson and Terrell Bernard. And both those guys are injured now. If those guys can't go, I would imagine Travis Kelsey yet again has another major day because that's what happened against Miami. Jerome Baker, all of their injuries, but Jerome Baker had been their best coverage linebacker. And the Chiefs just sandwiched him with 10 targets, including five on screens, kept them shallow, told them to just push up field. So I bet it's a big Travis Kelsey target day too if those middle linebackers are out. Shout out to the chat right now. Make sure you're subscribed to Player Profiler YouTube and smash the like button. Uh, Billy, are you going with my Buffalo Bills or John Daigle's Kansas City Chiefs? Real quick, I wasn't quick enough on the draw when he said who he was rooting for. Can you just say it one more time for me so I can click a button over here, Daigle? Who who did you pick for the game? I have the Chiefs money line. <laughs> I I'm going with the Bills as well. I just, the Chiefs just don't look good to me uh, from offense. Defensive wise, yes. Offensively, they've been dysfunctional all year. Um, I think Rice has kind of came up big uh, and has definitely developed. Uh, Kelsey, let's face it, has had his first you know season under a thousand yards. Has not been great. Um, and then you have the home field advantage as well. So uh, Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes. That was a, a, a fun stat. I forgot where I saw it this this last week was that Patrick Mahomes has never played away game in playoffs and his 15 playoff appearances outside of the Super Bowl. Um, and so this is his first time he's been playing away from home inside of a playoff matchup. And so I think that's also a psychology piece we have to look at on top of the dysfunction of the offense that we've seen. So um, Bills have been hot. I think that, you know, we definitely have seen 
digs. I don't want to say collapse, but he's definitely kind of falling off a cliff here uh, from a production standpoint. But uh, and I don't think this week is going to be a rebound week. But the the overall the Bills, I think that Josh Allen and and has been has been good. They are hungry to win. We've seen the the letdowns they've had in the past years in playoffs. I think that they're you know in a position now to to leverage all this hate and energy and 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 put it to to the, the put it to Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. And I just don't think that they have the offense to get it done this year. Well, Billy, we, we will touch on this next week, uh, me and you, on our you know further uh, playoff picks. But, John, while, while we got you here, let's go ahead. Based on your picks today, who wins Baltimore, Kansas City, and who wins Detroit, San Francisco to, to meet in the Daigle Super Bowl? <laughs> Definitely 49ers come out of the NFC for me. I think the run out is, is too good for them. The Man, the, the Chiefs-Ravens game, I'm already thinking about it. I, I have no idea... The Ravens are not only like if you look. You at, mean the Buffalo Bills and Ravens game, right? Okay, sure. Whatever, <laughs> whatever it is, the Ravens are just. It's not just great for this year on both sides of the ball. It's literally historically great. I believe what uh, Aaron Schatz at FTN Fantasy had them finishing with the third best DVOA of the last decade. Like they're just a unit, and we haven't even seen Lamar Jackson really play. Like everyone knows in fantasy, he struggled, but it wasn't because he struggled. It was because the defense was so good they didn't need him to get there and they scaled him back and just ran the ball with Gus Edwards instead. Uh, man, I'll say, gosh, the Ravens 49ers is so much chalk though. Um, I'll say Ravens 49ers with Ravens winning, but gosh, if, if it's the Chiefs, like I'm expecting, not anyone else, I don't know. I really don't know. Well, Billy, we're going to keep a little gas in the tank for next week on First Class Fantasy. Billy Muzio will reveal his Super Bowl winner. You know, let's hopefully we're going to see a Real quick, it's already been... They've already announced it. They announced it week 18 for the last three years. We've heard about this conspiracy. It's the Muzio-led conspiracy here now. Yes, I have heard from you, Billy. Go ahead and share with John. (laughs) Dago, have you heard about this? I have not, no. It's the logo colors they release in week 18 for the Super Bowl. And for the past three seasons, we have seen the logo of the Super Bowl teams. So we had oh, Bengals, Bengals, Bengals versus versus the Rams. We had the Eagles versus Kansas City, and now we have SF versus Baltimore. Um, of course, now the colors looks like my Niners are going to lose the Super Bowl, but it has been a three-year trend, and it has been pretty consistent. Which is would also make it two consecutive Super Bowls of number one seeds going, uh, and why they should never have extended the playoffs for more money because the participation trophy teams make it. <laughs> love it guys we're going to attempt to rip through here i i love love hearing the long answers but we don't want the show to go too too long so okay. let's rip through this one nfl mvp is it even worth discussing lamar jackson is minus ten thousand. john diggle is he your mvp yes Personally. every everyone else lost it throughout the year tyree kill Dak prescott christian mccaffrey uh even josh allen james cook was the better player over the second half of the season like everyone else didn't live up to their part of it lamar did Lamar's my MVP as well. Billy, make a case for your guy, Purdy, if you have to. I'm actually going to make a case for Christian McCaffrey. We've okay. seen a, a dual MVP a couple times in the NFL where a running back split it with a quarterback. I think it could be another instance this year where we see McCaffrey and Lamar Jackson dual, dual or co-MVP. We'll keep this one for fantasy-related and as much respect to DeMar Hamlin, who's probably going to win this award in, in real life. Let's go fantasy football comeback player of the year. Joe Flacco or Baker Mayfield? Joe Flacco. Gosh. 
Give me Baker, it, guys. Give me Baker. Baker was le- Baker co- quarterback two teams last year. Carol, you know, he had the stint in in LA where he came off off the plane and started. He quarterback Carolina. Man, Joe Flacco dead. came off the couch and just started dicing teams up, though. Joe Flacco basically was just a walking QB one till he made the postseason. So, like he he saved a lot of people because that's when every quarterback was injured. They had to pick someone up. So I, I would have to give it to Joe Flacco for both comeback player of the year, like in the NFL and fantasy. Yeah, it's it's probably going to be Flacco. It's one of the greatest storylines ever with Flacco. I just think it's like the Baker Mayfield redemption song season is very <laughs> very very cool. Uh, guys, let's stay offensive player of the year. Christian McCaffrey is favored in Vegas. Tyree Kill is up there. C.D. Lamb, like twenty to one, third, uh, third in the in the running. John, who is your offensive player of the year? Is it as easy as McCaffrey? It's as easy as McCaffrey. Billy even made the argument for MVP. To me, it's a quarterback award. It goes so offensive player of the year goes to McCaffrey. I know everyone tries to squeeze Tyree Kill in there. Tyree Kill was out, and Jalen Waddle and the Dolphins put thirty on an elite jet secondary. Tyree Kill like doesn't matter in the grand scheme of awards. I'm sorry, Tyree, because it was an amazing season. It's CMC. Billy, we can move on. CMC. Okay, how about Defensive Player of the Year? Right now it's Miles Garrett is the favorite, Micah Parsons, and then number three is TJ Watt. Who was the most impactful defensive player this season? Let's go with John. Dark Horse. I'm going to say Max Crosby because whenever Antonio Pierce took over, the Raiders literally finished as the number one defense in fantasy. They were an entirely different team under Antonio Pierce, who I do think deserves not, not that even, I honestly, it's, it sucks to say, I don't think he'll have success so much because we've seen the hard nosed coach thing run its course over many seasons, but he definitely deserves the job. Yeah, I agree. Deserves the job. I'll, I'll go, I'll go with miles Garrett. Uh, I think he's the favorite for a reason. Unbelievable, and that defense was so impactful. Billy, which way are you going here? Yeah, I think Miles Garrett probably wins, but I think you can make a real argument for TJ Watt. I think he he deserves it. Okay, offensive rookie of the year. CJ Stroud is the favorite, but Puka Nakua is about four to one right now. Sam Laporta and Jameer Gibbs both in there, but it's it's infinite odds. It's gonna come down to Stroud, most likely. Make a case for Puka if you'd like. I'm gonna go with CJ Stroud. Uh, what a season by him. Houston uh, was like more abound last year, and now they've won a playoff game as well. Give me C.J. Stroud as the offensive rookie of the year. John, want to go elsewhere with this or staying with Stroud? They got to split it. They have to split it. Uh, Steve Manair and Peyton Manning split the MVP award. I think it was in 2004. You have to split it between Puka and Stroud. Both deserve it. Billy. Ooh, I like the split call because that allows me to just not pick one because I want to pick them both. Um, I, I think that both deserve it. Stroud, what he does, amazing. But if I can only pick one, I'm going to say Puka. You break every single rookie record that's been there for you know three decades. I think you have to go Puka. Okay, and here's an interesting one: defensive rookie of the year because Jalen Carter, I think, was. And I know we're not supposed to look at like the playoffs, but Jalen Carter was supposed to win it. He's the favorite still. I like, Will but Anderson. Will Anderson. Yeah. Will Anderson is just incredible. Uh, I'm I'm going to say Will Anderson is going to win this despite you know being number two in the odds right now. John, uh, make a case for either, or if you want to throw another rookie out, it's Will Anderson for me as well. That Colt, he was banged up throughout the year. Uh, that Colts game was a playoff game, and he showed up big in that one, including with just one sack, but led the team in pressure. So I think it's Will Anderson. Billy, you're on Will Anderson. 
Yeah, I couldn't even hold an excitement when you're talking about him. I, Will Anderson, I think he's – and people are going to take recent biases and they're going to look at playoffs even though they're not supposed to. They're going to. 100%. 100%. They do it, <laughs> they do it in every in every sport too, guys. They, they, they don't read the rules. It's what you've done for me lately. Uh, NFL Coach of the Year. Right now, Stefanski is a pretty heavy favorite. For me personally, D'Amico Ryans is your Coach of the Year. Um, and I'm surprised that the, that the odds are not for Ryans uh, at number one. For him to come in in year one with a rookie quarterback and completely change like the whole culture of, of this team, have them win a playoff game and win their division. I mean, I, I think I was very impressed by him. Which way are you going, Daigle? And throw out any coach you'd want to uh, have in the mix. If it's the playoffs, it's D'Amico Rons. If it's a regular season award, I still give it to Stefanski. It, it wasn't just going to his fourth quarterback and Joe Flacco that he had to navigate. The Browns in the playoff game were on their fourth offensive tackle. No Nick Chubb from the first month of the season. Defensive injuries all year long they had to water through. I think Kevin Stefanski did more than D'Amico Ryans with less. And Billy, the disrespect for Kyle Shanahan, he's sitting there at 60-1 to one with the Too number one players. seed. Too many good players. Too many good players. Doesn't get, you know. No, I, I, he doesn't even, I don't even think he should be in the conversation. The... I would have said Dan Campbell up until about three weeks ago, um, but I think he's just made too many bonehead moves and plays. And and and, but I think that he should at least be in the conversation. But I would have to say Stefanski as well. It's okay. the most. It's the most just award. Remember, whenever Zach Taylor led the Bengals to the playoffs, Rich Basaccia still finished ahead of him in Coach of the Year awards. Mike Vrabel won that year because it's always about what you do with the least. It's not mm-hmm. about the best coach. Rapid fire, guys. Rapid fire on this one. Which head coaching high, which head coaching job are you keeping an eye on that you're most intrigued with? Which is the job that right now that's open that let's start out with Billy on this one that you're most oh. interested in? Man, there's two. There's errors. Okay, uh, go two. Go two. I, 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 there's, there has to be two for me. So Atlanta, sure. of course, because they have so many playmakers and I think they're undercoached and super talented. So both on both sides of the ball. And then you have Seattle that has some great playmakers and also has just been coached like it's been 1920 and they've been underperforming, of course, based on the playmakers they have as well. But I think slightly Atlanta over Seattle, but I'm interested in both. John. Commanders. Drake May, most cap space in the entire league headed into the offseason and hopefully exciting new head coach working with two amazing receivers in Dotson and McLaurin. And a lot of draft picks too, John, for based on yeah. the the young and sweat trades. Uh, I'll go Billy, you know, what Billy said. Both of those teams are good, but just to keep it different, how about the Chargers? You know, there's some rumors for, for Mike Vrabel there, but I think it's kind of a, a weird time for Justin Herbert dynasty managers where you'd like to see a, a an offensively inclined uh, head coach coaching higher there um, and remains to be seen what, what goes on there. Okay, which free agent, impending free agent, are you most interested in that could have the biggest impact on fantasy football, Billy? Oh, dude, I haven't even looked at free agency. Okay, I'll go um. first. I'll go. I'll go first. I'll go first. I'll do one here, Saquon, because oh. Saquon's the guy. Saquon tagged again. Saquon is probably well. You know, technically, this past year was not tagged because that late that last minute negotiation they did with him, so it wasn't a it wasn't a franchise tag thing. So they can tag him, but there's a chance that he you know, moves on and the Giants move on in, in their direction. And I think Saquon would be in, like the number two team in the odds to sign Saquon right now, besides the Giants, is that Houston Texans team. They're like plus 700 
or plus 600 to get Saquon Barkley. If that happens, he's a redraft redraft rocket ship. John, is there any player in upcoming free agent that you are interested in in discussing or most interested in in monitoring? To me, it is Mike Evans because I do think he has one or two good seasons left, especially after the nuclear year he had. And so to go to a win-now team uh, and perhaps someone with an elevated quarterback like the Texans, for instance, who do need one more playmaker, even if it's a one-year massive deal, I think Evans could land in a great spot. I got one, Theo. I got one. I thought go, for it. It. go for it. Go for it. Uh, it's going to be Kirk Cousins because it could affect sure. the entire offense of the Vikings. I love that one. Okay, guys. Uh Real quick, where would you like to see Marvin Harrison end up? And let's say, you know, those teams that are drafting towards the top of the draft don't go too far out there. Of course, we'd love to see like Patrick Mahomes and Marvin Harrison, but realistic Marvin Harrison landing spot where you'd like to see him end up. Billy, start out with you. I want to see him end up in New England so fantasy can burn. See, I take the, I take the, I take the, I had this, I had this conversation. I had this conversation with somebody else uh, and I said, if New England passes up, (laughs) <laughs> a quarterback here with their draft pick to select Marvin Harrison Jr. with a brand new coach, and we don't know who the offensive coordinator is going to be. Then Marvin Harrison's going to have 165 targets as a rookie. So, so I, I don't, I don't hate anything. I can make a, I can make a bull case for anything. All joking aside, I mean, I think it would be, I think, I think Twitter would explode. People would hate life if Marvin Harrison ended up in New England. But I, I, I think from a fantasy perspective, I would love to see him on the Chargers. John, how about you? I was going to say, hopefully falling to five in the Chargers, although that looks like a Malik neighbor spot. Uh, any, my actual answer is anywhere but New England, Philly. Literally anywhere. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'll, say the, I'll say the Arizona Cardinals. I think that would be a really, really fun one with Kyler, and we could paint ourselves a picture that they take a big leap uh, you know, in year, in year two now they're under Jonathan Gannon. John, this was a blast. Uh, let everybody know what you have going on, I guess, on Twitter. Yeah, you could follow me. You probably already do, but if you don't, at Najee Daigle. Again, there will be an announcement. Uh, I'm guessing around the Super Bowl. Everything's still getting hammered out, but I'll be around. Awesome. Well, we're really excited to see what you have coming next, and I'm sure you're going to crush it no matter what you do. Uh, Billy, what do you have going on? A lot of behind-the-scenes things coming for Roto-Nero Player Profile. I can't speak to them yet, everybody, but uh, just know that there is some big news coming in uh, down the pipeline here in the coming months. Uh, I have been working tirelessly behind the scenes, uh, getting together uh, a product that everybody is going to love. Um, We're talking about industry across the board. And so that's all I can tease now. Um, But I'm very excited for what our team has built and the efforts that have been going into this thing. And I cannot wait to show the general public it. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people. And you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. 
Yeah, and I'll echo Billy's that Billy saw comments. We have some really cool stuff on on coming out at Player Profiler. A lot of announcements this month on some cool content that we have. Shout out to my guy Dan Williamson of the Goat District. He's going to be joining Player Profiler, writing and doing some podcasting for us. Dan, I hope you're listening. Uh, and check out if you guys are into Dynasty, check out Dynasty Life. I'm dropping a weekly podcast now right here at Player Profiler. Um, I had Clay from Dynasty Trades and Five on uh, this week. It was a very good show. And stick with us here at First Class Fantasy. We're going to be having some great guests all throughout the offseason. Enjoy the NFL playoffs, everyone. This is what, we, uh, what we've been waiting for. Have a great rest of your week.